Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Today is Friday and that means it's time for Outback with Jack. These podcasts are done on my back porch, hence the Outback with Jack. And they are done via live stream. Live streams will begin somewhere between 0730 and 0745. Last approximately one hour if you want to make those live streams and make sure you are informed Best way to do that is uh, get on the Survival Podcast um, Telegram ch uh, channel or group. Uh, they will go out with notifications the night before and the morning of to remind you of that. But if you miss the live streams, that's okay because, as you can hear now, uh, we will put these out in audio format on the regular podcast feeds that will cover a variety of topics for about 30 minutes and then take questions from the audience on the live stream for about 30. So you kind of want to make those. Remember, there's no commercials in uh, these shows, except on occasion, but you can always support us how. Simply do your online shopping beginning at tspaz.com. And here we go, out to the back porch. Well, good morning, all. Welcome to the uh, first episode of Outback with Jack. And uh, I'm sure there'll be some hiccups today. My computer's already being ditchy, so hopefully everybody can hear me well enough and there's no uh, delays or anything like that. If I could get a call out from you guys in the comments about that, that would be great. So we can kick things off. And I'm going to be trying a bit of a new feature uh, here today where I actually can do that. And if you're on the audio, you won't see it, but I'm actually sharing my screen right now. And uh, that's because we have some stuff we'll be covering today that is uh, topical. And uh, won't be using it a lot, but uh, just starting to get familiar with all of the features that StreamYard has. Loud and clear from Melbourne, Florida. We have people pouring into the live feed. That means we are ready to roll. And uh, I can go ahead and start the podcast and live stream for real now. Anyway. I got a lot of stuff to talk to you guys about. I want to start out with why we're doing Outback with Jack here instead of like in front of the Miyagi Ponds or somewhere on the pretty parts of the property. So if you've never done video production before, you, you probably don't realize what a pain in the ass things like the sun are, right? So you set up in this spot and everything's kind of good. Maybe there's a cloud in place or there's a shadow from the trees or whatever, You're in shadow, the camera's in the shadow, everything's great. And then, you know, time goes on and things move and clouds go away and the sun moves or whatever. And all of a sudden you have this giant shadow in your face and the light's bright in your eyes. And I have a uh, 20-foot uh, porch overhang here, and the sun just never gets where I am ever at any point during the day, certainly not this early in the morning. So I have control of light. If it's pouring rain out, you know what? I can still do this on Fridays. If, it, if we happen to get lucky, it poured last night, not raining now, but I could be doing this in the rain. I don't have to worry about the gear getting jacked up. Unlike when I was doing Miyagi mornings where it was really low tech, you can see I've got my computer sitting in front of me. Um, you know, it's one thing if my iPhone's in an OtterBox and we're out there and it gets wet, but, you know, my MacBook and all my other gear, uh, not so much uh, fun. So that's... That's why, like, this works as an outdoor studio. And when it gets cold, instead of being a whiny little bitch and having to run back into my office until it gets super cold or super hot on the other end, I could take one of my big old propane heaters and set it back here behind me. So we should be able to, to run this out into late spring before it gets to where I would be sitting here and melting like I'm one of the guys from uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when the Ark got opened and their face melted off, right? So that's why we're out here for those that have asked that. For those that are sad to see Miyagi mornings go away, I still plan on having lots of feeds uh, for you guys. I'm going to definitely from now on, whenever I do an interview, if my guest is willing and technologically able to do a uh, live stream for the interview, all guest interviews are now going to be on StreamYard uh, as long as the guest can, can do that. Sometimes we have guests that are in remoter locations. And they don't have good internet, and because they don't have good internet, um, then we uh, 
we have to do it through like Skype and I have to direct call them on a cell phone or something like that. So when that happens, I won't be able to do it. And what I was doing for a while when I first got StreamYard is I was taking the body of the show. Um, so not the intro and the outro and all that stuff, because that's complicated to do like this. But basically taking that that core of the show and live streaming it. And that way I had a YouTube segment and an audience Odyssey segment. And if Float ever gets their shit together so that when you do a float stream, it actually shows up permanently, you'd have it there too. And any other place they you know let us syndicate, you know, maybe... Maybe StreamYard will offer a higher level service eventually where we can stream to more platforms and, and then it, that stacks. When I started doing Miyagi mornings every day on a live stream, it was too much. So I'm going to go back to trying to do that most days as well. Some days I'm not really able to do it because I have things going on. Billy Roy Bob, man, he just can't take a break, can he? Um, but. Some days I have things going on where I have I have to take a break in the middle of the show, like I have something showing up, Dorothy's not here or whatever, and so those I won't be able to live stream. But I'm going to try to live stream most shows from now on, so that's cool. Also, you notice that uh, I've got my hat here from Omar at Lucko, the Irish Guide Service. If you have not yet entered to win um, a trip with Omar, please do. Just go to Lucko, the Irish uh, YouTube channel. And it's, it's just like that. Luck. Oh, the Irish. I will have a link in the show notes when the podcast goes out in the feed. If, if, if you can't find it or you can go to the survivalpodcast.com. Just start scrolling. And when you see me with this ridiculous pile of fish, that's the post. He's only like, I think like 60 people from his goal of he's brand new to YouTube. Great channel already. Trying to get to 500 subs. That's kind of your first, you know, getting there, starting to establish your platform. And they're giving away four fishing trips. So he's got three, three sub captains and him as the primary captain in the guide service. Been in business over 20 years. Love the guy. And, uh, all you gotta do is subscribe to his YouTube channel. Your odds of winning that are one in 125. And it sounds like a lot of people are incognito where you can't see them. And that actually makes your odds higher if that's not you. Cause if one of those people win, somebody else wins. Uh, free trip with up to three friends with you, that's four. If you're coming in from out of state, like, I don't have any friends. Yeah, you do. Jack's your friend. I'll go with you. So if you win, you can you can take me. And if you want to actually have the boat filled up or you want me to yourself, we can do that too. So uh, let's get Omar there. I told him I could get him there by Friday. Uh, we started pretty low, and we're almost there already. So let's do that for him because he's a good guy. And this is a guy that's hustling butt, dude. He is a – essentially, he's a full-time fishing guy. And he has a full-time job. He's working two full-time jobs. He's he's an older guy. He's like 62. He's like three years away from like Medicare and all that, where he doesn't need the health insurance that comes from his job job anymore. And uh, then he's going to just be a full-time guy. So let's uh, let's help this guy come into the modern age. He's old school Marine, and uh, you'll have a blast fishing with him. Or is it fishing? I call it catching for a reason because that's what it is. It's catching. Go look at the pictures. All right, now let's get into it. Um, like I said, I do want to cover some stuff, and the first thing I want to cover today, there's been a lot of buzz about this. Sorry to be a buzz kill on, uh, let's go to a different one. Learning here, guys. Okay, um, Janet Yellen wants to tax unrealized gains, so everybody's losing their mind about this. Anybody that's deeply invested in the stock market's losing their mind about this. Uh, it's not even necessarily like big time traders or anything, but, uh, cause traders are paying tax every time they trade anyway. But a lot of just regular old school Americans, because if you've saved, if you've been a good aunt, you've saved up your money and you piled your money into stocks and mutual funds and other, uh, investment vehicles, only so much of it's going to be in that tax sheltered 401k IRA, et cetera. You still probably have some that's out in the world of taxation by the government. But the, the, the beauty of it has always been, I don't actually have the money, so I don't pay any tax on it, right? So you can have stock in a, in a company that may, let's say, a dividend-producing stock, and you take the dividends as income. Well, you pay tax on the dividends, but not on the appreciation of the stock. So let's say I was holding stock, and just first thing come to my mind, it's not an endorsement, Ford Motor Company, and they're a dividend-paying stock. So you could have like a million dollars in Ford stock. I don't advise that, but you could. And you can have a healthy dividend income coming out of it. And then the only thing you're paying is the income. But if Ford has a really great year, stock goes up like 40%, and you have a $400,000 gain. As long as you don't sell the stock, 
you don't pay tax on it, which makes perfect freaking sense because you don't have the money. You have a stock which is illiquid. You would to, to enable it to do anything for you to spend it, you would have to sell it and realize the gain. This has been the way of things and an understanding forever. And, of course, this would affect crypto as well because that's the beauty of Bitcoin. I can go into Bitcoin. I can let it continue to appreciate. And I can do this with real estate. I can do this with a lot of commodities. And I can actually borrow against them. Debt is not income. And it's the game the billionaires play. Let me tell you what's going to happen with this. Absolutely nothing. You can stop worrying about it. It's not going to affect cryptocurrency. It's not going to affect your stock holdings. It's not going to affect any of this shit. And do you know why? Can anybody in the comment stream tell me why? Because the Congress isn't going to do anything that hurts the billionaires that fund their campaigns. That's why. So this is one of those things that you get all of the, uh, all of the, you know, like AOC followers and all, all charged up about. Uh, first of all, somebody like, uh, Janet Yellen can't just do that. I don't care how much power you think she has. Janet Yellen can't create a new tax. To do this, you have to go through Congress and the president. And if the president were to veto it, which you wouldn't, but if the president were to veto it, then you have to go back to Congress to try to override the veto. This is not a simple, how do we, like, like when the ATF says, well, can we say that, that bump stocks are illegal under existing law? And then the, if the bureaucrat changes, the policy can change. This is a very clear cut thing and the billionaires aren't going to allow it. However, I'm going to point out something. We already have a tax on unrealized gains in the United States at the state and the county level. And it is foreseeable that we could have a federal version of this tax come in. It would probably be very tiny at first because that's how they do it. They get it in a very tiny thing and then they slowly increase it. What is that tax? What tax do most Americans already pay? That's an unrealized gains tax. And it's actually worse than an unrealized gain tax. Real estate. Property tax. Property tax, if you think about it, is a tax on unrealized gains. And uh, some people are asking me questions in the comment feed. I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to go through these topics. Then I'm going to take your questions. When I say that, put your questions in all caps. That'll make it clear that you're not talking to the person ahead of you or whatever right, in the chat. So I'm not even going to see your questions in chat unless I happen to catch them out of my good eye when I look over or something like that until we get to the Q&A portion. Um, but, yeah, we already have a tax on unrealized gains. It's called property tax. And I think what you might see come out of this, there's two taxes that I see happening that I have been talking about for one since the very beginning of TSP. That like sometime in the 2020s, this tax would happen. And another one I've mentioned here and there and said they want to do this. So the first is the mileage tax. Um, and as they get more and more electric vehicles, it becomes obvious that that's what the, they're going to want to do because the electric vehicle still uses the road and then it doesn't pay any gas tax, right? Never mind that you pay taxes on your electric, electricity consumption, right? Um, but they're going to try, they're going to, and, and in the infrastructure bill right now, is the groundwork for a tax by the mile across the whole country. Uh, whether that survives or not, I don't know, but that's something they want. On the unrealized gains, the federal government has long wanted to implement a property tax, right? So you could see, instead of just city and county and hospital on your property tax bill, a federal tax on property. And the reason it's a tax on unrealized gains is my wife and kiddo back here are heading off to uh, to uh, to pick up uh, the brother right now, my grandson. Uh, we'll say hi to them and buy them. Bye, guys. Um, if they can implement that, it's it's a massive windfall for the federal government because if you just add up all the property that's out there, it's a massive crap ton of property. And even a very small amount adds up. Now, you know, however, once they do it, they can keep increasing it. But here's the unrealized gain part. They distracted me. Um, I'm paying tax. Let's say I buy a house at $200,000. And three years later, 
the property assessor liar comes by or just gets on Google Maps and looks and says, oh, he put a pool in and this house over here sold for this much. And this, and then my tax on my property goes up, even though I haven't realized the gain by selling my property. I might owe $200,000 on my property, maybe did 100% financing, and but they say it's worth $240,000. I'm paying tax on something for $240,000 that I, honest to God, don't own. And if the federal government can get in on that game, you know that they want to. So that's the other tax to look out for. Mileage, mileage and a, a federal real estate tax. So why are they going to talk about unrealized gains? Because they ain't going to do it. And that's where your attention goes. And where your attention goes, your energy flows, right? Remember that. Where attention goes, energy flows. So when your attention and energy go there, Right. And if you're smart, your attention and energy is going to things like growing your garden, your own investments, stuff like that. But the average American's a moron. They sit in front of the TV. They listen to these talking heads. And if you can get their attention there, the people that have no assets, that don't give a shit, that just want your money, that want AOC and her ilk to steal it for them, they are focused on it. And then at the, at the same time, the people that have assets that are going to be taxed that way, they're focused on it. The people that understand enough about economics to know, well, this would hurt the people I work for, and I don't want that. They're focused on it. And then they can go over here and deadly do their bullshit, and they can implement these other taxes in a, you know, a bill that's as big as 20 old school yellow pages that nobody reads. That's always what they do, and that is the method that they use. Attention goes, energy flows. And the average American barely has enough energy to keep the lights on in the house, the food on the table, the family fed, the job kept, etc. So if we can take their attention and divert it to something like, oh, a bad withdrawal from Afghanistan or this this tax that's never going to happen or a, a border crisis down in Mexico, then we can go get away with all the bullshit we want to get to wherever the fuck we want to. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. And that's what they're always doing to you. Whatever they're actually focused on. It's probably the thing you need to worry about. Maybe not, not at all, but the least in the list. Uh, next, I wanted to talk about, I was listening to Robert Breedlove's uh, series with Michael Saylor this week. And if you haven't checked that out, you really should. It's in his podcast feed, but it's also on YouTube. And it's like a 12 or 13 part series called the Saylor series. And Michael's name, last name, if you're not familiar with it, S-A-Y-L-O-R, not Saylor like a guy that goes out at sea. And they were talking about money. And he didn't really say this, but he was talking about how money is the embodiment of energy. Real money is the embodiment of energy. That's why cryptocurrencies that use proof of work make sense because you're taking all this energy and you're embodying it in a unique token that has a public and private key that says this is the embodiment of this piece of energy. And now this energy is like a battery with zero leakage going forth. However, if you take the dollar... The dollar is an embodiment of energy because people work for it. They trade goods and services for it. A tree grows and it gets cut down. It gets milled into lumber. When that happens, there's a lot of energy. There's all the solar energy and nutrient energy that grew the tree. Then there's all the mechanical, electrical, petrochemical energy that milled the lumber. There's all the petrochemical energy that moved the lumber to the store so that you could buy it, and then there's the energy you expend to go get it. But the other energy is human labor, and there's human labor in all those things that make a board that you go buy, and then there's human labor in the dollar that you take to the store, or, you know, the $100 to buy a few board feet of lumber now that you buy that lumber with, right? And that dollar is used on all sides of this transaction, Right. It's on all sides of this transaction. And it is the embodiment of energy, natural and human energy that does value add to a product. And once that's done, now we have something we can use. And without that dollar, why would you expend the energy to go get the board? Right. You wouldn't have anything. You'd have to have some other form of money. But the dollar. Think about this. So if, if Bitcoin is a is a battery that stores your energy that doesn't leak, right? Because there's no inflation in Bitcoin. Now, there's volatility. Volatility and inflation are different, right? You have an emerging currency. It's going to be volatile, especially right now. But there's no leakage. Nobody's going to go print a trillion new Bitcoins and pull energy out of your battery. 
with the dollar, that's exactly what happens. And what it made me think about is how the dollar is the tool by which the wealthy acquire assets and the unit of extraction whereby the average person contributes to the wealth of the wealthy. So if you think about it, you go out and you work, right? And if you work for a big company, they pay you dollars. They don't take those dollars, you know, when they make money from their clients that they're basically selling your service to one way or another. They're either selling a product you built or if you're an accounting firm, they're you're, they're paying you $55 an hour and they're they're billing you out at, at $200 an hour, right? They don't just take that money and hold it as cash. They put it back into the business, right? But a lot of times they're actually investing in other assets. They they expand their empire through real estate, et cetera, right? So what they're doing is they're using this leaky energy unit that's very stable in the short term across six months unless it's a, a specific thing that goes into a short supply. The dollar is amazingly stable over a six-month or even 12-month period. So they're only holding that leaky battery long enough for about 2% of the power to leak out of it, keeping enough of it to keep you in the hamster wheel with, and they're investing it in commodities and assets, right? And, and then the super wealthy at the banking level, they can literally print this money. Like when you go to a bank, eat, people, I, I explain this with real estate a lot, but it's important that you understand it's not only real estate. If you get a credit card, right? You get a credit card, you put it in your wallet. See, I really do carry the Ridge wallet. Um, and you go out and you charge something on your credit card. Well, the bank doesn't say, okay, um, you know, Target stores, here's the $85 that Joe Blow charged. They actually do a journal entry, and your promise to pay back the $85 plus interest creates $85 in new money. So you're trading your energy before you even expend it when you're leveraging credit that way. The rich people take that credit leverage, and they leverage it either by using it to buy assets that pay the debt, okay, or they they own assets that they borrow against that pay debt that the asset still pays back. And, and in essence, like the rich, all their wealth is in assets. They're in functional businesses that operate without their day-to-day attention. They're in assets like gold and silver. They're in assets now like cryptocurrency. They're invested in other uh, entities. Usually, if they're really rich, they're not even invested in companies that you're allowed to invest in. They're in, you know, venture capital investments, et cetera. They're in farmland. They're in timberland. They're in anything that is a physical manifestation of energy that doesn't go away or can be leveraged to borrow without any, without any, um, penalty for doing so. So if I have a billion dollars worth of real estate, I can borrow a million dollars a year for the rest of my life. And all I do the next time I need to borrow more money is borrow enough to pay back the first loan. And as the real estate appreciates, once I'm at that level, I can have a million dollars of income a year tax-free for the rest of my life. I can have 10 million with a billion dollars worth of real estate. I can probably have 50 million in income. And that's that leaky. So I'm only going to take, since it's leaky, I'm only going to take as much out as I need to fund my, you know, millionaire or billionaire lifestyle, right? So I can have my yacht or whatever. But then I'm going to take that money and I'm going to leverage it into another asset. And you're the one that's on the gerbil wheel, constantly turning the wheel, constantly turning the wheel, constantly turning the wheel, right? And all you're doing is expending your life force. And that's how I want you to start understanding this. This is your life force that you're doing this with. And the good news is, as long as at the end of the month there's any of that paper asset left, you can play this game too just on a smaller scale. And if you don't, you'll never get off the wheel. You will stay on the wheel forever because that's the plan. And it's why they created the money that they've created, right? It's why they did it. They did it so that you would end up basically like, a little baby, like a little baby kitten or a little baby puppy, and there's mama's tit right there. And mama's tit is the money. And if if they take you away from mama while you're still blind and you can't do anything and your little paws barely move, and all they have to do is sit you 20 feet away from mama, you can even see her, you'll die. Another way to look at it is it's like you have an IV going into your arm. You're laying in a hospital bed. 
right? And there's something in that IV that there's something wrong with you. Without that IV dripping into your arm, you have two weeks to live. And whenever they need you to do something that you don't want to do, they pull up a pair of scissors and say, we'll cut the cord. You'll be dead in two weeks. That's the monetary system. That's how they built it. It was built that way on purpose. So you need to start thinking the way they do instead of the way they've conditioned you to think. And if you don't do that, you'll die poor. And more importantly, even the people that follow the rules, I go to work, I keep my job, I only, you know, maybe you take one or two jobs in your adult career, you work your way up the ladder, you you throw as much as they'll let you in your 401k, and you throw another 10% in everything else, and Social Security doesn't fall apart, and you retire with even a couple million bucks, but you retire on the plan they've given you, which is, there's your money, take as much out as you need every year to live the way you want to live until you die, you'll never make generational wealth. That's what they stole from us. That's what they took from us. That's what keeps not just you on the wheel. It keeps your kids on the wheel and your grandkids will be on the wheel and your great grandkids on the wheel. And since it's an exponential loss in the value of the currency, they will have to work exponentially harder. So we've come to this belief that like I want every every father says it. I know I have. I want my kids to have more than I did. But we want them to do it by themselves now because they put us into a position where we're on that wheel. And so I want to make sure he gets a better education, a better start, whatever. But I'm not, when I say that, I'm not thinking, and everything that I have one day will be theirs. And then they will take it and they will build up to have more. And then everything that my grandchildren have will be handed down and, and it will go down seven generations. But the wealthy, that's exactly what they do. That's exactly what they do. And it's not because they have more money. It's because they don't hold all their freaking wealth in a leaky battery. Something that's designed to leak 2%, and when it's working shitty like it is now, is leaking 10, 15, 20%, depending on how you measure it. So please start thinking about your money that way. Um, next, I, we, I've heard a ton lately about the supply chains, and we're going to all starve to death. They're trying to kill us, whatever. Um, here's the latest, and for those watching or listening only to – um, the audio, you can, you can go look this up. There's a link in the show notes. Let's go to this one. A little bit better view. Okay. So, uh, Epoch, Epoch Times has an article out right now that basically says the workers who maintain our supply chains are warning of a worldwide system collapse. I think there has to be an understanding of why this is probably a little overstated, not completely overstated. But these workers, whenever you see workers, I want you to then complete the rest of the communist sentence of the world unite. Right. There's a shit ton of organized labor in a statement like this. If you look at the backing up of the container ships in California right now off the ports and the ports all across the world and all across the United States, there's two explanations I've heard. And I think it's neither one is the explanation. I think it's both. One is that a lot of the equipment used to unload these ships was sold off during the lull uh, during COVID, the initial COVID shutdowns. And now that we're picking back up, they don't have the equipment. That's interesting, but I, I wonder how much of it can be true because who'd sell it to? For what purpose? There's really only like this type of equipment does one thing. It moves shipping containers, right? That's what it does, the big giant metal ones, right? So where did it go? Who has it? Who bought it? Was it sold for scrap? I, I mean, I don't know, right? The other one is that the longshoremen are kind of being a problem, and they, they're kind of organizing this because they want more money, which is, you know, totally wrapped up, organized labor. And you understand when you hear about um, when you hear about unions, there's there's two kinds of unions, right? There's, like, weak, impotent unions. Like, down here in Texas, most of the union activity is really weak because we're, we're a right-to-work state. And, you know, you're talking about unions like the the Office and Professional Employees Union or something like that. Then you got, like, Teamsters and IVEW and shit like that where, like, they're hardcore. And they have a lot of leverage and a lot of members. So they don't necessarily have to strike just to slow things down a little bit for their collective bargaining. So the, I think it's a mixture of those two things. Plus, you have just overall blips in the supply chain. But I think mostly overall, the stuff exists. We don't have a shortage of 
you know, capacitors or, or, or metal roof or adhesive or all these things I'm seeing go up in price or trees to board into lumber, right? What we have is a shortage of the supply chain to get the product from where it's manufactured or produced or harvested to the person who wants to buy it. And this is why, this is what, um, this is what the whole thing's going to look like right now. If you know anything about aquaponics or hydroponics, ebb and flow, ebb and flow. So you're going to see a shortage and then the product, whatever it is in short supply, hit the market, get gobbled up. Then you're going to have somewhat of a surplus left over. It's going to get marked down. It's going to get gobbled up and it's going to go away again. And it makes perfect sense if you think about why it would be the case. I got this giant container ship sitting off offshore. These things are massive. There's thousands of containers on it. Each of those containers has a massive amount of product and different products. They finally clear up enough for that one ship to come in. That ship comes in and it dumps. All of a sudden, products that were marked up are on Amazon on sale. Like just yesterday when I put out the lights, the, 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 the grow lights, they knocked them down 30%. My guess is shipment came in. And they sold a bunch, and then they, the sales ebbed off. Okay, lower the price. Let's get all the people that don't want to pay this much, right? And then the price maybe was high because they didn't actually want to sell the inventory that they had sitting on the shelves. They wanted to slowly sell it, but they didn't want to sell out. They don't want to kind of lose their place in line with their distribution network. So if you think about how an ebb and flow system works, all of a sudden there's no water coming out at all as the tank's filling up. But what happens when you hit the top point and the siphon kicks in? More more water comes out than you can handle. You have to have a big enough battery to accept all of this this water coming back to discharge. But then what happens once the discharge is over? It goes away again. And I think you'll see this for about two years uh, from now. That you're going to see this kind of an ebb and flow in our supply chain until they actually fix it. And I know a lot of people think, well, they don't want to fix it, but markets are going to market. Last thing before I take your questions, and you can start dropping questions now. Please drop questions in all caps. I want to say this to a certain segment of even this audience. Please take your defeatist language and shove it all the way up your ass, not to the elbow, to the shoulder. If you are in my audience and I am hearing you say shit like it's all over, no, we can do You need to go find somebody else to listen to. Go listen to Alex Jones. It tells you they're going to kill you all and put you in a FEMA camp. Go somewhere else. I don't have, to be blunt, the fucking time for people like you in my life. And my advice to you guys out there is you don't either. There is so much opportunity right now. Uh, yesterday's quote was, you know, the past always looks better than it was because it's not here. I'm paraphrasing it, right? And that's the truth. There's so much opportunity today. You have opportunities to build wealth with the concepts that I gave you today about how to think about money. They didn't even exist 20 years ago for people like you. You know, learn about crypto, not even just like go buy Bitcoin, but learn about crypto, like how to finance shit with DeFi, how to earn interest on your money instead of pay interest on your money by holding it. Because if you think about it, if you're holding money and inflation is 5%, you're paying 5% for the privilege of having your money. And that's not all wrong, by the way. Like, it's okay to have a stack of cash. And that 5% inflation or 10% inflation, you know what you call that? That's an opportunity fee. That's so you have the liquid cash so you can act when the opportunity comes. So there's a portion to keep there. But if you're keeping all your wealth that way, no wonder you feel defeatist. Well, they're going to do this. They're going to, you know what, you know what they're going to do? They're going to do as much as you pussies let them do. And I'm not talking to everybody now, right? But you pussies with this defeated language on the left and the right, both. They're going to do as much as you pussies let them do. All this shit, they're going to fire 70,000 workers, 77,000 workers in New York. Uh, healthcare workers who refuse to get the vaccine. You notice they were going to do it yesterday and you haven't seen anybody like, I lost my job. You know why? Because they didn't fucking do it. And you know why they didn't fucking do it? They didn't do it because you can't send 77,000 people home from the hospital system in a state like New York and keep the hospitals open. And then the drug companies can't make their fucking money. So everybody that's in this situation where they're saying, if you don't get the jab, we're going to freaking fire you. Go ahead. Do it. In fact, I think one of the better tactics is don't say shit. Just don't do it. Don't do it unless they call you to HR and tell you they're going to do it. And then walk in there with a piece of freaking paper in your hand and be like, I, I'm willing to accept you terminating me. Well, we were going to let you resign. Fucking take your resi resignation and you shove it up your ass, Aaron. 
Okay? I ain't resigning. You're going to have to terminate me, and I need you to sign this piece of paper that says I was a good employee, that there's no marks on my record, and you're only terminating me because you want me to take this vaccine and see if they do it. And if they do, you take that piece of paper, make 20 copies of it, get them notarized, and go straight to an attorney. And you take every other employee with you to that same attorney. You go to four or five attorneys till you find the one that knows what he's doing. And you come back and you rape their ass for what they did. If they even do it, because I'm telling you right now, I ran a company one time with 4,500 people in it, employees and contractors. And if you took away 20% of my workforce, let alone 40 to 50, which is more likely, the people that are actually out still doing shit, my company would have been bankrupt and out of business like that. I could have never run that company if I lost 40, 50% of my workforce, and they can't either, and don't you believe that they can? And take your defeatist language all the way up your ass. Remember Chris Rock, uh, Chris Tucker, right? In, uh, uh, what was it? With Jackie Chan. You guys know the movie I'm talking about, uh, Rush Hour, right? And the FBI ga- agents come at the end, and they say, hey, you know, we do have an FBI badge for you if you want it. And Chris says, you take that FBI badge and shove it up your ass, all up in your ass. Take your defeatist language. Shove it up your ass, all up in your ass. People that are actually getting shit done, people that are not willing to surrender, and it's not about we're going to go out and vote them out or any shit. Like people that are actually structuring their life and we're building citadels around our life, we don't give a shit about you. We don't care about you. You can freaking die on the other side of the wall that we're building, whether that wall is material or whether that wall is metaphorical because we're understanding the new system and we're building resilience into our lives no matter what the fuck they do. And I have no fucking time, sorry for all the fucks, but I have no fucking time for any of your shit to the point where when I get your emails, I see your fucking comments, I'm banning you. And I'm not banning you because I'm censoring you. I'm banning you because you do not fucking qualify for my time. And 99% of these people in this audience right now listening to me in the live feed, the the, the, the 200,000 that are going to listen to me when this goes out into the podcast, they don't have fucking time for you either if they're smart. You don't have time for them, folks. All right. With that, let's uh let's start getting some questions. Please put your questions in all caps. Um, quick arc update from Michael Dixon. Um, I have always been bullish on the cryptocurrency arc. I like the way that they do their uh, delegated proof of stake, which means you can hold arc and you can earn money back in arc as interest uh, for helping to verify the network. You have to hold it in the ARC wallet to do that. The ARC wallet has gotten much better over the years. They now have plugins, kind of just like you have like like apps that you put on your phone. You can put apps in your wallet, and they have one called the Delegate Calculator. And as long as you have enough ARC to make enough money that you know the cost of switching delegates is worth doing, you should run that thing probably once a week and get the highest return you can. On the other side, I always thought that ARC, because of their basically point-click blockchain-like technology would become the WordPress, you know, of cryptocurrency. I don't know if they move fast enough. So, you know, I'm kind of, and then they don't really have like the kind of interoperability with the ETH systems, the Ethereum systems that are real, I think going to be necessary to be a dominant second tier player. So I don't know. I'm still holding some ARC, but I did recently sell quite a bit of it. Um, and I took the proceeds when it was way up and then I waited for this crash to come and I went, and put some of that money into Algorand, um, Atom, which is also known as Cosmos, and Cardano. And I think those three, like one of those three, has the best chance of kind of being your tier two in the whole interoperability world and competition with Ethereum. So I don't, I don't hate Arc. Uh, I'm not going to sell all of it. I still have a substantial holding in it. I've I've done well with just the returns over the years, and I've also done well with Oh, gee, look, it jumped up like almost 80% overnight. Yeah, I think I'm going to throw that shit on Bittrex, sell it into a stable coin, wait a week, and buy it back, right? And so I've, I've done that with my ARC quite a bit. Uh, and generally, when I do that, ARC or any other currency, I don't do it 100%. So maybe I'll take, depending on how I feel about it, I'll do anywhere from 50 to 70%. I'll put it up for sale. I'll hold it, and I'll wait for it to drop down. I'll immediately put a limit order in to buy it back. But ARC, I'm nowhere near as bullish on as I was in the long term right now. But the um, the rewards are very, very high. Um, Wade, okay, so next one. Wade Bowen asks, why Exodus and not Coinami for a crypto wallet? 
Um, I love that Exodus works seamlessly with the Trezor hardware wallet. That's my big thing. I've been a Trezor user for a long time. And the fact that basically my Exodus wallet can know what I'm holding on my hardware wallet and I can view my almost my entire portfolio in Exodus. But if somebody were to get my computer and they're like, oh, look how much Bitcoin he has. I'm going to rob his Bitcoin. They'd find that there's like 250 bucks worth of Bitcoin at best if they can guess the password for Exodus to send it anywhere. Right. Like you can see how much is there, but you can't get to it. So you have to put the hardware wallet into the computer and what have you. Does Coinami do that? I don't know. I've never used it. Okay. I've never used it, so I don't know. Um, but when I tried Exodus, which I learned about on the um, What Bitcoin Did show with Peter McCormack, and he was talking about the UI and everything, user interface, I was like, well, I'll give it a try. And when I did, I just liked it. So I don't have anything against any other crypto wallet, but when I found something that worked as good as Exodus does, and like if I send somebody money, I can note on the transaction. Basically, I can do my accounting in Exodus as well, uh, my crypto accounting. I have full custody, and I have immediately spendable, and then I have locked up with a hardware wallet, but I see them in one place combined. I just like that. Uh, next up, Tiger Lily says, any insights on real estate for housing? Virtually nothing to rent or buy in the Texas Hill Country. Um, yeah, see, how do I put this? Like, everybody wants to get into a market at the time the market is at its height and the barrier to entry is its highest, right? And that's, that's basically being greedy when times are good and being fearful when times are bad. And we actually have to change our mindset around that. So everything's a cycle and I wouldn't get head over heels trying to buy real estate right now just because it's hot. In fact, I would say you look for deals and if you find one, you pick it up and you take it. And if you don't, you do something else with your money and you keep that. And if you want to be in real estate in the future, you keep that money in some way that whatever you're holding, whether it be you know cash is just liquid or if you're holding something else that you're holding kind of midterm, you're doing something that's hedged so you don't lose if the volatility goes down in it and it's quickly liquid so that we can move into that later. I would work right now, if I want to do real estate, I would work on getting your credit limit to buy real estate as high as possible. Because if you want to buy real estate, trust me, you want to buy it with other people's money. Jack says debt's cancer, but Jack's talking about MasterCard and Visa and buying a TV set with credit. Jack's talking about paying your freaking grocery bill with credit. Jack's not talking about buying real property that pays for itself with credit. Why the fuck would I want to put my money into real property that I can get somebody else to pay for? Now, the good news is that um, this means there's a shortage of housing. That's what this means. And that means that eventually it'll rectify itself. And when it does, you're going to see a significant drop in real estate property prices in some areas, not others. This is going to lock in long term in the more competitive areas. So maybe we look outside of, uh, of uh, Hill Country, Lily, right? Maybe we do that. Uh, maybe we look at a different type of property. Maybe we look at developing property with other people's money. Uh, what I'm looking at right now, I've been looking for getaway uh, property, but I'm starting to think, why a getaway property? Why not getaway properties? I'm thinking about developing multiple properties as kind of campsite, you know, hip camp type, glam camping with resources. So you can take a piece of property, Put a great big pond on it, put a really beautiful um, fishing pier on that pond, take and build an outbuilding, you know, inexpensive steel outbuilding, put a couple um, washing machines in there and a shower or whatever, and then you have a campsite, and then you hire somebody to run it for you. And if it pays for itself, you build another one. And then if it pays for itself, you build another one. And if it pays for yourself, you build another one. I'm even looking at and I'll be talking about it at the workshop. Well, can I take something like uh, Algorand? and tokenize a property with NFTs and then allow investors. And then I can't go out and say, I need investors because then the FTC will put me in prison. But if I take my existing relationships, which are fairly large, um, then I could actually do that. And if they find people that find people like, you know, maybe we could develop a hundred properties like that throughout the state of Texas. And then maybe we all have getaway properties because we all have certain access rights based on that tokenization. Like that's, you got to start thinking a little bit differently. Um, the other side of it is like, can you simply find 
property somewhere else. Like, so I want property in Texas Hill Country. Why? Because you live there? Like, you can be a landlord of a place in Tyler, Lily, right? You don't have to be geographically matched to your property. I don't want to be more than about three to four hours away. I want to be any given day. If, if I think there's a problem on a property, I want to be able to get in my car and be there. And if I can't, then I don't feel good about it, right? And by the way, before I go on to the next question, Lily, I've seen you on social media for years, and you're badass. So I just want to let you know that. Um, let's see what else. I don't know what some guys thought. 80 acres versus 70 acres. I don't know what that means. Uh, somebody's asking if I got help with my issues in Minersville. Yes, I did. We're, we're good there now. We're as good as we can be. Uh, again, I'm looking for all caps, folks. And if you've asked a question in all caps and I've missed it so far, you might want to um, re-ask it. Uh, Area 69 says, any insider experience with quantum? Or if you're, I guess you're asking about a coin, not quantum computing. Never heard of it. Don't know anything about it. And I really think we have to be careful in this, trying to find the next great coin. Like, what you should not actually care what I think about quantum. My question for anybody thinking about putting money into a technology is, do you really understand the technology? Do you really understand the existing competing technology? Do you really understand the application? And are you are you sufficient in this that you're willing to risk capital? Because if it ain't Bitcoin or Ethereum, it's it's a risk play. Right? It might work out. Right now, everything's worked out, right? Like, literally, you could have taken all the cryptocurrencies and thrown darts at them, picked 12, bought them two years ago, and you've made money, Right. So everybody feels like a hero. So I think what you need to do, dude, is you need to understand or do that. I don't know what you are because it's not really an identifier there. They, they, Area 69, they need to, right, with woke language, uh, you need to really understand the technology. And, 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 okay, then you also have to understand with any technology, right, an application, will it matter? You can go back in history and you can look at competing technologies. And you can definitely say A was a better technology, but B won the game. Right. So marketing the team behind it, how much money they have, all of that matters. So like one of the reasons I like Algorand is when they came out of the gate, uh, they gained, you know, they, they, they raised $130 million just for development and marketing. That's an incredible advantage in a place where there's so much competition. I still say you're safe bets, guys. Bitcoin first, Ethereum second. I had some ass clown email me and say, stop telling people to buy Ethereum. It was pre-mined. And it's, I know everything you're talking about. I don't give a shit. It's winning. I'm winning. I'm winning. Anybody know what movie that's from? If you, if you can, you get bonus points. I am, it's a race. I am winning. Uh, let's see if anybody else has asked a question. I saw it. there's so much traffic. I'm losing people. I saw Lucky the Irish was in here somewhere. There he is. I can see RV and boat storage properties bring in some great. So there's a great tip. That's Omar Cotter guys right there. Uh, who's, you know, Omar right here. Uh, you can win your fishing trip with Omar if you go by the survival podcast and read the article on it or just look up Lucko the Irish fishing guide service as it is on the screen right there and just follow his channel and you can win a free fishing trip and some other cool shit. Um, but he's saying I can see RV and boat storage properties bring in great income. So there's a guy that knows, right? Because if you own a boat, you have multiple captains, like, and you don't necessarily want to keep your boat in your garage, like, you have to deal with that. And you're you're fishing with people every day. And I think one thing that Omar would attest to: there's a lot of fishing guides. They take people out fishing, not because the guy doesn't have a boat, because the guy doesn't know the lake, doesn't know how to fish, whatever. So they talk to a lot of boat owners. Plus, boat owners know boat owners, right? So there's like that's insider information, and that's just another way to come at it. Like when you go into real estate, everybody thinks. The, the the same way with this, like, I'm going to get a rent house and I'm going to put people in it and then people are going to rent it and then they're going to pay for the house and I'm going to do it again and again and again. And that's a good formula, but it's also the formula that everybody's doing. And the formula that everybody's doing has the highest level of competition. And the highest level of competition is a place where the underlying asset has the highest initial cost. So if I can go where nobody's doing it or very few people are doing it, there's less competition, there might be less market. But if there's sufficient market, then my underlying cost goes down, so my profit goes up. So, And I also have the potential to cheaply develop the property. It's a lot easier for me to take a, a couple acres and develop it in a boat and RV storage, right, than it is for me to take a couple acres and develop it into five or six houses, 
that's a lot more expensive. And I can bring in a lot more customers, each customer's less money, but if I'm doing rent houses and I'm developing rent houses, because people do this, I have a friend that was very successful with it, you know, he, he'd buy a piece of land, he'd build a house. I mean, he was a builder, so he'd build his own house. He'd move his family into it, sell the last house they had at the last development. Then he'd build a house next door and rent it out. Then he'd build a house next door and rent it out. And maybe this piece of property is enough to build six conventional suburban homes. And when he got them all built, he'd buy another piece of property with money he leveraged from the new property that's now worth more than when he bought it. And he'd build a house. And then he'd move his family to that house to sell this house or rent this house out. And he'd do another development. And if he ever decided that he wanted more out of that property than a rental income and, and leverage could do, he'd sell all of those houses take that money and do a bigger development. You can do that, but again, what's the cost? He had an advantage. This guy could run excavators. He had framing crews that worked for him anyway. So he could literally like have a job and it goes slow. Okay, come work on my house today, right? So like that's difficult, but how hard is it to build um, really cool campsites, right? Uh, you know what's great for a campsite? A simple deck, a simple freaking deck, right? Like, basically a plywood deck and you put a tent over it that is so much better than camping in the dirt or on the ground so much better you could put a tent on there pretty cheaply and uh when you do that you you can have like a a permanent like wall tent set up like that you can rent that for a hell of a lot more than just a campsite and if you had something again like washing machines and showers right you have basically a full service campsite but it's private you don't have barney five coming around telling you to turn the music down Set your campsites far enough apart that people can have music on or run a generator or whatever. And, and you know, put a, put a, a pond in, stock it with fish, and hire somebody to take care of the work you don't want to do. That's another thing that, like, we do really badly in America. We, we have this idea that I have to do everything because an employee is an expense. An employee is a leverage tool. That's Why do you think somebody hired you? Because they don't want to do the work. You hire people to do shit you're either not good at or you don't want to do, and you make a profit off it. Next up, Mama Gator, what is the best way to start learning about crypto? Um, I would tell you if you go to what Bitcoin did and look up the shows for beginners and listen to all of those, and then look up, trying to think of the guy, uh, Parker, is Parker Lewis? It's a guy that there was a movie about, called like it was like a Ferris Bueller type movie, Parker Parker. Parker somebody can't lose. The guy has the same name, but it's his real name. And he has a series with Peter McCormack on what Bitcoin did called Gradually Then Suddenly. If you listen to those, now understand you're going to be in the Bitcoin maximalist world. All coins other than Bitcoin are shit coins, according to these people. I don't agree. I think they make some valid points, by the way. That's why most of my wealth is in Bitcoin. Um, but the fundamental understanding of like the first principles of money, how 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 cryptocurrency works, why it was created the way it was. That's probably a great way. And then a really simple understanding of crypto, look up right here on YouTube, Dash School, D-A-S-H, School Playlist. And there's a chick named Amanda Barnes, I think her name is, Amanda something. And it's a six-video playlist. The second three videos are all Dash propaganda. I'm not hugely bullish on Dash. But if you if you listen to the first three it has nothing to do with dash it's basically how proof of work crypto works i would start there and then worry about where to go next and don't worry about like finding the next really great thing and um i would also say don't as long as you're asking questions like how does it even work don't even buy anything but bitcoin dollar cost average in bitcoin if you want the simplest formula for success right now, I, I would do what Willie Wu, who's one of the best Bitcoin traders there is, buy Bitcoin and put yourself in a coma for 10 years. Just don't even look at it. Like, we get into crypto and we handle it totally different than our other investments. We're, like, updating it by the minute. How much? And it, you have, like, 500 bucks in there. Like, don't worry about it. Worry about where you're going to get the next 500 bucks to invest and and, and, and work over time. Um I'm I'm running out of time, guys, here, so, so I'm going to have to start being a little selective. Will you have virtual tickets for your workshop? No, but you won't need them. Um, we'll have to play with things. We've never done it before. But now that I have this capability, 
there's no reason I can't take this camera right here that I'm shaking, this laptop, and set it up. And even if it's separate from the other AV stuff we do, we are going to live stream every presentation that's indoors. There's a couple property walks. Nick Ferguson's going to walk students through the food forest. I'm going to walk through the project we did last spring or this spring, and I'm going to take people across the bottom of the property to the greenhouse and go through hydro. And we're going to do that where we split the class in half because 80 people walking through either one of those, you have to scream. We do it first thing, first day. And so then my voice is shot for the whole workshop. So um, we split in half and then we take a 15 minute break and then we swap people. And then I take people through the back of the property again. And Nick takes through the food forest again. And then we do everything else. Everything else will be live streamed unless some technical problem gets in the way. And I'm going to have guards because I have a big metal door on my shop building where we do all this. And the only thing that fucks the repeater up is when somebody shuts that two and a half inch thick metal door. And I'm telling you, if you're a student and you're coming and there's a freaking presentation going on, if you're staff, that doesn't matter. There's no exemptions. If you try to close that door, and I will have it where it's difficult to close during presentations, but if you try to do it, you are getting shot in the ass with a 6 millimeter .25 grain airsoft pellet. I promise you, and it will put a welt on your ass, so don't do it. Uh, Porta-potties will be in effect. Oh, yeah. Do not go in the house if you're coming, Jake, right? Don't go dropping a deuce in the bathroom in there. We can't have 80 people pounding my septic. You'll get in trouble. If, if you were here and you saw it, I'll put it this way. So Jake got in trouble with one of the staff members, who I won't name. And it was a small amount of trouble. And then Jake did something you should never do to a woman when you've been balled out. She walked away. She was done. There's only one thing you have to do, fellas, when that happens to you. Shut your hole. We all know Jake Robinson is incapable of shutting his hole. So what did he say? He said, she was about like seven steps away. She was almost gone. And he goes, well, bye, Felicia. And then it got ugly. And it got so ugly. <laughs> I was talking to John Dowie. And Dowie's like, I'm not even going to porta potties. I'm going to go shit in the street, right? Like, he was like, I'm terrified of her. So don't go in the house. Um, we also are doing that this year to give the dogs a break. But that's obviously an insider making that. Uh, we got two more people and I'm going to break off, uh, survival tips and other stuff says I'm doing the campsite thing with hunting guides, hog and deer, nature tours on Caddo Lake. That's freaking amazing. That's amazing. Like absolutely amazing. I'll tell you another thing you could do. Oh, I don't know if Omar's still on here, but you know what fishing guides love? Fishing guides love a place to themselves to like keep a boat and meet with clients. And if you got really big, then you might be commercial and you're a marine and all. But, you know, if you had a lakefront property and you built like a big boathouse, I see them all the time on Eagle Mountain. These rich people, they have four boats. Nobody says anything. You could put in a boathouse like that, and if it's a, a, a lake that's guided, find the two best fishing guides and say, hey, what about this? What about I rent you space on my boathouse? I give you my gate code. You know, you know, you got to decide if you want to do this or not. But that, like, your clients can meet here with you. And then you never have to actually trailer your boat. All you have to do is, you know, dry dock and dry. What's that worth? I mean, a slip on that lake, a plain Jane shitty slip that everybody can get to is like $2,200 a month, right? So you, do you think you could find two people to give you a thousand a month? Omar, if you're still here, if somebody had a place and like, if you only did one lake, Omar does multiple lakes, but if you only did one lake, and you could have a dry dock boat house for a thousand dollars a month. How quick would your boat go in there? And I bet you the answer is pretty damn quick. Um, Mark Norman says the breed love series is amazing. I'm blown away by sailors depth of knowledge. Yeah. I, I really recommend the sailor series because it will change the way you think about everything. They literally start out with like primitive man and go through like the Roman era and the Greek era. Like it's like a course through history. And I will say that like, Paleologically speaking, and when he gets into like natural systems like beavers and stuff, he does get a few things wrong. But to get that much right and like to like blow my brain away and go, that can't be true and look it up. Like it's almost like a Bill Mollison level, uh, thing. And it does change how you think about things. You know, he takes away the idea of fair and fighting fair. Like that's just not how things work. He talks about this one battle the Romans did where like their enemies were like up on this hillside. And they, they used like catapults and shit and they caused basically a rock avalanche 
and then the rocks came down and smashed all like 75% of the enemy and then they went in and killed the other 25% and that's how the world works. Well, I can tell my kiddos are are here and I don't know if they want to come say hello, but that means it is about time to wrap up. We are right at 58 minutes. There's my grandson and my granddaughter. You got to move in, honey. Look, come see. There you are. That's my grandkiddos, right? So it's about time for me to go. I'm going to see if maybe there's one more here to take before we go. Uh, I don't think there is. So I hope this went well, and I hope that one of the bigger things that you guys maybe took away from it is if you want to get into real estate or something like that, be creative. I'm not saying don't do rental houses. If you have layups for that, if you can buy a house and rent it and put cash flow in it that it pays for itself today, do it. Do it now. Do it yesterday. But if you want to get into holding real estate as an asset and you want other people to pay for it, I think we've covered today. Like a whole bunch of ways to do that. There's tons of ways to do that. Anyway, guys, since they're goofing, I'm going to go. Remember, get over to Luck of the Irish. <laughs> enter the contest. Braylon will tell you, right? Huh? Is it catching or fishing? Fishing. No, it's catching. Oh. <laughs> ah! You got you to you get your actors ready in advance. Anyway, guys, uh, we will uh, we'll catch you guys Monday next week. I think this went well. I'm sure we'll get into more of a rhythm with it over time, but I'm going to enjoy doing this. Thank you to the 118 people that have stuck with us to the end of today's broadcast. I appreciate you. I'll try to make sure that we get a little bit more organized on our questions. I might start appointing, if anybody's interested, that knows you're going to make these usually, appointing a moderator so we can just kick bullshit out of the chat so it doesn't distract me, and so that maybe they can keep track of some of the questions that get asked early so they can kind of repost them for me if I've missed them. And so maybe we'll do that in the future. Got some new comments here. We'll check before we sign off. Uh, dude, perfect. Yeah, he went to he went to Dude Perfect uh, last night, and I'm sure that was fun. I'm sure I'm about to hear about it, guys. Enjoy. Oh dear God, I almost didn't give you the channel, the Pandora channel. All right, so I want to see people guess here for me if you can. Who was the Pandora channel based on for the music this week? We had Slide by the Google do- Goo Goo Dolls. All for You by Sister Hazel, and Just What I Needed by The Cars. We only had three because it was a short week. Anybody know what Pandora channel that probably came from? It comes from a person who is known as a person, but his name is actually part of a band. Anybody got it? Really big in the 70s and 80s, into the 90s. No longer with us. Died way too young. Had a problem with heroin. Anybody got it yet? Initials were TP, and it's not toilet paper. Tom Petty. It was Tom Petty, not Jethro Tull. Tom Petty. And uh, the reason I say it, it's, an, it's an artist, but really a band, because it wasn't just Tom Petty. It was Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And when the audio version goes out today, which will be in less than an hour, um, you will be if you want to clone that YouTube or that Pandora channel, you can. There'll be a link there to do it for you. And I had a couple people that I've talked to back in and told them who it was. They're like, I have a Tom Petty channel. It doesn't sound anything like that. That's because I chain my, train my channels right. That's why you want my channel. With that, guys, I will uh, take off, and I appreciate you guys, and I will catch you back on Monday. Monday we're going to be doing a show on the things that we would need to do if we wanted to restore America. So look forward to that. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? said you should have a house the American way dollar down a dollar a month and you never have to pay there's a better way to do this let me show you a better way
Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares. They're living for. 